0: Welcome to the Big Black Clock Podcast. Now, let's see what the guys have to say.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Big Black Clock. We're at episode 115, I think, right? 114. Damn it. You're
0: going to get there one day. Uh, it's only been 100 so far. And but it's a lot of episodes. No, it's true. You're right. And, and you know, you, we are recording a lot of episodes and sometimes we kind of move them around so they might come out of our order.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah.
0: it doesn't really... It's probably even better for us to be saying, like, ish, you know? It's a hundred something. Ish, Exactly.
1: And most podcasters out there don't even mention the episode names. We we just keep trying to and failing. (laughs) Failing every single time, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. But
0: still try. It's just we don't learn at all from our mistakes.
1: Yeah. And this was a little bit, like, not off-the-cuff topic, but what we we wanted to talk about today was Watches and Wonders is right around the corner. Basil's cancelled, but March is really that time where a lot of the brands are coming out with their releases and when we discussed this episode um, we were like let's do a Rolex prediction episode because there's they're gonna they're gonna make their announcements in the next couple of weeks we're gonna see what it's gonna be for this year Uh, the releases come out sometime in the summer or even in the fall but they get announced earlier I don't know about you Dimitri but like this week in the news everyone has a bunch of releases coming out like at the same time. I don't know a lot of brands and it's tough because we try to talk about different releases we want to share on the podcast, but it's, it was tough to keep up because like, Oh, maybe I'll talk about that or talk about that. it's just so many. And regardless of Rolex, there's a lot of other watches coming out and releases, but we're going to focus a little bit on Rolex and maybe some other bold predictions for the year. Uh, some Tudor I think, and some, um, some other items there, but for now, we'll um, we're just going to talk about uh, Rolex, some releases, and what's in the news there. But before we start, let's do our wrist check. Uh, what are you wearing this week, uh, Dimitri? I mean, to go along with the
0: episode for today, uh, Rolex predictions, I am wearing my Rolex Explorer. That's the latest reference number uh, 124270 in 36 millimeters. I, uh, I wear it a lot. It's, uh, I've spoken about it uh, quite a bit on the podcast before. It's, it's grown on me significantly. And it, it's funny that I think a lot of people who buy this watch have the similar experience where... It doesn't really appeal to them right off the bat when they see it in store. And I actually was listening to a podcast recently, uh, the Adrian Barker, uh, I forget what the name is, About effing Time, right? About effing Time, yeah. Uh, so, well, I, th- I think it's part of that. He was talking about, uh, maybe it was him, or maybe it was a different podcast, but anyways, it was, it was Adrian Barker who has his own podcast. He was talking about his Rolex Explorer and how it's his all-time favorite watch ever. And the way it started for him is that he didn't like it at all. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to buy this watch, review it, this let's say take it apart—not physically, but kind of like you know take it apart uh, metaphorically. When he was mm. uh, when he was about to, he was going to talk about it on his uh, video channel, and you know because he wouldn't like it—that's what his uh, initial opinion was. And then as soon as he started wearing it, he gradually fell in love with it so much that. He's just everywhere he goes. He claims that's his, you know, for his favorite watch of all time. And you know, it seems to me that it's slowly becoming like that for me. It's a slow kind of slow growth process. But the more I have it, the more I like it so far.
1: You know, I think it's the same with that um, TGV guy. His favorite watches is, is, is Explorer. I think, yeah, yeah, the yeah Tristano, yeah, yeah. All of his collaboration designs always have that twelve, three, six, and nine, right? Yeah, yeah, or the three, six, nine kind of dial layout. Yeah, that's great. I'm wearing this week, uh, 1990s Omega Dynamic, uh, not the chronograph, the three-hander. I have it on a Hodinkee leather strap and trying to the life of me. I wanted to swap it out to this really cool kind of like canvas nylon, uh, with leather trimming, uh, straps that I got from Holbin's. Holbin? Holbin's. We'll put, uh, we'll put a link to that in our show notes. Yeah. Once, so I, do, once got I, once I, once I put this on, it's the last thing I yeah. do. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm wearing this week. Let's jump in right into some releases. Maybe I'll just go first. I want to share, I, I've been trying to focus a little bit more on the independent brands, the, maybe on the more attainable side. Notice, and I want you to know this, notice, uh, a brand, a uh, California brand under really two, uh, two really cool guys, Wes and Cullen. We finally met them at WindUp this past year. Um, they've been one of the kings of the micro brands at the $500 mark-ish we'll say U.S. I distinctly recall uh, your reaction Dimitri to trying on their GMT uh, at windup. You're like, man, the quality of this, but I, it wasn't that, I think you tried it on. And then when you asked what the price was and they told you it was like four you're like, what? <laughs> the quality yeah. was really, really high. So, and that was one of the first times I saw the, the GM, the Seiko GMT movement finally put into a, a micro brand. It was a, uh, it was like, okay. and then, cause when we talked about that release, we're like, what will be important about that release is that, that affordable GMT movement is now still going to start, make its way into the micro brands. So very, very cool. So welcome now to their new line. They have a watch called the sector deep. Uh, and from the name, you guessed it. It's a dive watch. Uh, and boy, is it a dive watch. Uh, this has insane legibility on the dial. That's the first thing I wanted to kind of call out, but we're talking about 500 meters of water resistance. So this is no joke. We're starting to get into the saturation level and uh, it's a proper tool watch. The dial comes very legible time reading and you'll notice the first thing that jumps out at you when you look at this watch above the legibility is that diver's bezel and GMT bezel. So they do kind of, you see this on the likes of Serica and that's a very cool, I think um, when it's well executed. It's actually very, very nice because then you can use the the bezel to do your diving or timing. And you can also use it to give yourself a second time zone when you're traveling to just uh, see it at a glance. Um, So uh, the bezel measures uh, in width 42 millimeters, but the case body comes in at 38 millimeters uh, diameter. um, Has a very nice um, schematic matte black and very, very strong contrasting white on the dial, making it very, very legible. I really like this watch. Part of their Sector line. Most of their Sector watches are actually very beautiful too. And the last thing, I repeat this when I, when I talk about often, this looks great because it's not just tapping into some vintage style. It looks modern. It looks unique. And the, at that price point, very difficult to, to argue with that one. This watch comes in at a price tag of $575. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at this watch now. Uh, the, the one thing that you know, stands out to me is the uh, crown on the left side. Oh yeah, sorry, I didn't even mention that. It's a destro crown. Which makes it uh, a lot more comfortable to wear, especially if you're diving. At yep. the same time, I'm looking at the design elements here and it it, it does remind me a little bit of the Pelagos, oh. yeah, of how the markings are, uh, the shape of the markings and the, uh, the way they are applied. Uh, but one thing also kind of really stands out to me is that uh, it, it, the the movement in this watch is a Seiko NH35, which yeah. is you know one of the most, one of the base Basic, movements, let's say, that yeah. Seiko offers. But at the same time, it's regulated by notice, so they offer plus minus te- 10 seconds per day, which is great. Right? Because I think traditionally with a Seiko out of the box, you get like 25, 30 or something
1: like that. Right, amazing! An amazing package for twenty four five hundred and seventy five bucks. And I, I kind of messed up there. There's two things I forgot. Yes, the the crown on the left, the crown also says lock to show you because it's on the left, on which direction to make sure it's locked. And like you said about the indices, they're actually pl- like applied, but the way that they are like the Pelagos is that there there's a re-out in the dial and they're like kind of in uh, carved yeah. into the dial itself. Exactly, Very cool. Yeah. And at that price point, I mean. Hard to argue with anything, yeah.
0: It is, it is. I'm curious to see the bracelet in person. and the pictures, you can't really tell, but because you know, again, and this is because I'm just looking at the price and I'm like, how do they manage to make any money out of this, right? Where's the, where's the, where's the catch, you know? Uh, but 100%. To, to give them credit, when we saw them in person at uh, Wind Up in New York, there was they were amazing. There was nothing yep. to say negative about them. Okay. Nope, excellent, 100%. excellent watch. Yep. All right, so. My first one, and it's a brand that I, we also met at Up, and I like them a lot because of their colorful design choices. The brand is called FAIR. So they just announced a new collection of three watches called the Moon Phase. When you go to the collection uh, on their website, you're greeted with the phrase, light side of the moon, which I think is an excellent play on words fitting into what FAIR stands for. We've spoken about this brand before on our earlier episodes. I think it's specifically episode 22 when we were talking about microbrands. The company was started in 2015 by four friends in response to a shortage of affordable vintage watches inspired by the golden days of watchmaking, referring to years of joy and bright and contrasting colors. Fair, the word itself, it's a segment of the word wayfair just means to travel, explore. Like, and this is kind of what, what their motto is. Being a British brand, the spirit of adventure is at the heart of the company with many collections of watches being named after iconic explorers, uh, vessels, and locations, uh, sometimes athletes as well. The, the use of color is a standout f- feature of any fair watch, and the brand sells online only. I don't think there are any boutiques. They are, I think, also could be considered a true micro brand, where there are only about 10 people working in the company, including the four founders themselves. So, the watches are designed in Britain and they're working closely with a Swiss manufacturing partner called Roventa Henex. It's a private label manufacturer of quality Swiss-made watches. that has been around since 1959. So, g- this gives a fair and ability to uh, provide a, a five-year movement, uh, sorry, five-year warranty mm-hmm. uh, along with their watches. So, now to the collection. The collection is, uh, itself consists of three hand-on mechanical models with a moon phase complication. They're named after famous British astronomers, uh, Edmund Halley, like, the, is it Halley or Haley? Halley's Comet. Uh, Margaret Burbage and Arthur Eddington. So the first model, uh, Burbage, it's a uh, blue sunburst dial with a pink moon. Halley is a midnight blue with a yellow moon. And finally, Eddington is brushed salmon pink dial with uh, like a, let's say, faded white, yellow, kind of moon. The watches feature a cushion, cushion cases with 38.5 millimeters thick, uh, mm-hmm. thick in size. Elaborate grade salida sw 2288 movement that has, has a moon phase complication. So four hertz, 45 hours of power reserve, uh, block design uh, shock absorber. Hacking seconds, a quick dead set at six o'clock. So, so also subfire exhibition case that shows you that uh, decorated movement. And and they do a pretty good job decorating their movements. Uh, markers and the moon itself are yep. done with the grade zero grade OL X1 super luminova, so the moon will be illuminated in the, uh, when you're in the dark. All watches come on different leather straps and have a quick release function. And go for twenty four hundred Canadian. They are currently available for pre order and will be start and will start shipping in, on April twenty seventh.
1: It's funny that bra- that transparency on where their watches are are being made in that uh, manufacturer that you were saying. I um, have a independent brand, Zmoho, Demoro, Demoro, that I've ordered a watch about six months ago. It's been delayed, but that should be coming in in April. But, they also use the same one, so it's a hundred percent Swiss. This um, watch I got as well, so it's pretty cool. But yeah, it's it's cool that they're sharing who their suppliers are. They're showing and and it's amazing. And I watches, wish yeah. I, I wish all brands did that. I
0: wish Andrew. everybody was, like, and maybe it's just me, but I I can't really think of how transparency
1: could hurt a company. My understanding, though, Dimitri, is that a lot of them were speaking to Monta or Everest bands, and you know what he was saying? He's like, I can't say it because we sign non-disclosure agreements, but he goes, but we produce, we get our rubber straps made the same places that they're making it for. mm, mm, mm. And he can't tell us, he didn't say, but he goes, but it's that level. Because they sign NDAs, they make you sign NDAs, so you can't say that you're using us because it hurts our business with the other company. That's I see, that's that's fair. So I guess
0: if you're sharing a supplier with some other brand and that brand doesn't want to reveal, let's say, its markups, then yeah, I can see how that could be true. But, uh, uh, you know, I think it's Oxen Junior that are like extremely down to every single piece. Super and. transparent about everything, and I love that. I love like Fears. if you if you don't have that non disclosure agreement to go through, I, I would love to see companies say, "Well, look, let's say we're making fifteen percent markups on our watches. Here's the price. Here's how much we make from every watch. Hundred percent transparency. Very, very and popular we need that because yeah. of this and this and this and this. Makes sense.
1: And I think it helps people learn in this hobby too, without having to make too many mistakes because they'll know what they're buying into right away. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Excellent. So, what do you think, uh, Fair in general? Like, I, I really want to buy
0: one, and I still haven't uh, put the the trigger on it. I, I love the Simon Dial Moon, and I love cushion cases. I think I've been talking about cushion cases quite a bit in uh, a yeah. uh, recently, and I'm I, I want to have a cushion
1: case. Oh yeah, definitely. My Panerai is a cushion case, and it's fantastic. I I like what Fair does. I'm a fan of the colors. Again, they go off into something very bold. And when you look at all the the you talked about fears last week. Was it last week? Yeah, as an option. And, yeah. When you look at the state of British watchmaking with Christopher Ward, what they're doing, Fears, what they're doing, Farrow, what they're doing, and they're not doing the same thing at all. <laughs> That's it what makes, makes it so cool. They're super unique, yeah. right? Um, I, I really appreciate that. So yeah, good, good on Fair for sure. All right. No, another piece of the news I thought that was just interesting. Um, there's a rumor circulating around that LVMH might be lining up a move to acquire Richemont. LVMH shares up to the mod, a modest 2.5% in trading, and Richemont was up 1%. Uh, so the rumor came as a whisper behind closed doors. LVMH currently valued at 390 billion euros, while Richemont is 74 billion euros. LVMH recently, if you guys remember, in 2021, bought Tiffany. Um, and Bernard Arnault was known to admire the jewel in Richemont's crown, Cartier, obviously. So if the acquisition were to go ahead, LVMH would drastically strengthen its watchmaking operation with the marks of Vacheron, Panerai, Jager lecoultre IWC becoming stable mates with Tag, Hublot, and Zenith Jewelers Bulgari Tiffany and Van Cleef and Arpels also under the same umbrella so we'll see something to monitor I think in the news could mean very big changes in terms of design movement sourcing of parts we'll see man they have a lot of money LVMH <laughs> shit Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn. <laughs> oh. you had another release you want to talk about I'd, before we jump I into did. the predictions go for it
0: for sure and so the second one also is a British company a very very uh, you know, very impressive. Uh, a little bit different from how how they do business from Fair. The brand is called Garrick. Uh, it's another brand from Britain on my list. Oh yes, <laughs> it's a bit of a uh, let's say higher scale, luxurious brand as compared to Fair. And a bit, I'm again, I'm being conservative. It's uh, initially established in 2014 by David Brailsford. Uh, it's based in Norfolk, England, and specializes in producing high-end mechanical watches with a focus on traditional watchmaking techniques. So their motto is being anti-mass production. so And every watch is made to order. They have recently added to their collection. They they have different versions. They have some watches that could be considered as they're more affordable, even though they're still with like at 8,000 Canadian dollars and up. Uh, they previously had a version model called S4, and they is, uh, now there's an evolution of that line. No, Dimitri, that's an Audi. Uh, in the new model, that's called S6. That's an Audi. Also an Audi. Yeah. <laughs> So this new model S6 is kind of positioned as you know the more affordable watch, which to me is not probably the right word. It's less right. uh, less unobtainable, less expensive, but it's worth everything. It's worth every dollar in that price. It's powered by caliber BF03. It's a version of a famous ETA sixty uh, four ninety eight uh, that which has been heavily modified and decorated by the company's watchmakers. The S6 highlights the in house craftsmanship and lavish finish of that hand-wound 42-millimeter wristwatch with almost every element being customizable. It's um it, it features an elegant, well, they call it an elegant English-made case made from 904L stainless steel, which has been grained at the edge edges, frosted in between the lugs, and richly polished on top. In contrast to the bolder style uh, of that previous model S4, this new one has a more paired back Aesthetic, free of numerals and allowing for a more spacious layout and more contemporary feel. So time is indicated with a narrow chapter ring at the edge of the dial, which carries indexes for hours and minutes. And once again, the small seconds are at uh, six o'clock with the separate subdial that has like an, another interesting texture. There are different versions of this watch, and like I said, every watch is built to order. Uh, dials are available with a hammered, textured, or engine-turned detailing, and handcrafted in or anchor hands. So again, like there's a bunch of things you can customize. Every single, let's say, f- surface of this watch is highly, highly decorated. Open case back. Uh, well, the watch itself is 42 millimeter in diameter. Sapphire crystal. Exhibition uh, case back, 100 uh, meter water resistance. It's handmade, like the leather straps are also handmade. It's calf leather, buffalo, or I think alligator and ostrich. You can get, I believe, a stainless steel version or a gold version. Stainless steel version starts at, I think, $8,000 and it goes all the way up to uh, to, to, to something like 14 or $15,000. Pounds probably. Every watch is assembled to order,
1: sorry? Probably pounds. I think they're like fifteen thousand pounds. It board.
0: starts at four. It's it's it starts at five thousand pounds. So yeah, about right. eight thousand dollars. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, goes uh, goes up to something like fourteen. Each, each watch is assembled to order and takes about thirty two weeks to
1: assemble. It's it, it, it's it's incredible, remarkable. Garrick is for listeners out there. We've talked about Garrick before, but the, he's among the likes of Stefan Serpeneva, the types of Kari and, uh, who Well, they're they're like artisan, and they get to really. Um, you know, high complication. Um, but Garrick, what he does is like Philippe Piculic, Stephen Sarfaneva, Stephen Kadoki, Dornbluth and Son, uh, all of these different watchmakers who are producing small batch, you'll speak to him directly. You'll have a bespoke, one-of-a-kind watch that's for you. Everything's hand-finished using the, the best techniques in the world. So that is the appeal of this watch. The level of craftsmanship that you will receive and if you go on Instagram and you look up Garrick and you look up the macro shots or micro shots, I guess would be the word, the micro shots. Did you find that uh, uh,
0: Instagram account that you mentioned in the previous episode with Torin, that uh, yes.
1: does like crazy close-ups? Do you remember yeah. the name? Oh, man, you put me on the spot. No, I don't. I know. <laughs> that's, uh, it that's in my, it's it's not on my Instagram, but one that you can is Horio Bros. Okay. So like Mario Bros, but it's Horio Bros, H-O-R-I-O-B-R-O-S. They do crazy micro shots or macro shots, whatever.
0: The close-ups. I, um, macro, yeah. Oh, I macro. would, um, yeah, I'm following the one that's called Bowls of Salmon. Okay. Uh, it's not necessarily macro shots, but he makes like an amazing composition. He right. aligns everything well in the picture, right? So the watch yeah. really stands out and it pops. Like It's beautiful as well. It's Anyways,
1: we'll put those in the show notes for anybody listening who wants to go check it out. If you ever like, if you want like Peter Gerber, uh, Paul Lang, if you're interested in all these, there's Passion Find Jewelers out in California. They sell a lot of these high-end independent brands. Dimitri mentioned, and it's a a shame it's so much, but we have the same kind of Garrick in Canada, which is Bradley Taylor, right? Who made the Paragon. And that watch was like 22,000 bucks. But this is the level of finish. We're talking about these independent makers that are making 20 to 30, 40, maybe 50 watches a year. That's it. Right. A lot of appeal for that. So good on Garrick. So get a notice and get a Garrick. (laughs) Hells yeah. And get a fair on the way out. Last year, Rolex. New Explorer 2. They updated the Air King in a way that none of us saw this coming. (laughs) We did not think it would be that as a release. Um, So it was a a bold move. Bold move and caught everyone by surprise. Everyone was kind of like, huh, this is a special year for Rolex in the calendar. We're looking at the 70th anniversary of the Rolex Submariner and we're looking at the 60th anniversary for the Daytona and a bunch of models that need a uh, potential upgrade if if history serves us. And I'm kind of
0: almost upset that you didn't mention the first professional Rolex watch that was released of all Rolex professional watches. It's the Explorer that's yeah. celebrating its 70th anniversary also. <laughs> Explorer's also this year? <laughs> yep. It's the, so Explorer was the first one. Uh, Explorer and the Sub were released in 1953 and Explorer beats yeah. it out by like just a, a few, few months. months, I believe. That was a good year that's for a, Rolex, eh? Hey? Holy yeah. shit. Oh my
1: God, yeah. It was like 1994 for movies. <laughs> it's Shawshank, Forrest Gump, like I think Braveheart. They're all the same year or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So first prediction. Well, I'll go, go first for this one. Yeah. 70th anniversary of the Rolex Submariner. 70th anniversary represented by platinum. So I'm going with a platinum Rolex as the material. That's my guess. But I think there could be two options for the subs. Platinum material with a blue dial for those in the know and those with the money. And then for those uh, peasants like Dimitri and I, <laughs> I think they take another step, as they did this year, into titanium. They released the titanium, deep sea, and now what did they bring out? A nice titanium sub, kind of like the Pelagosis, and put that also with a blue dial. How great would that be? Um, I don't think that the dimensions change. They stick because the 41 millimeter Rolex, the one that I have, came out in 2020. So I think that stays the same, movement stays the same. But what can they make it that's fun? I think they come out with a blue dial Submariner, platinum, or titanium version. So that's prediction number one from me. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I'll go with my prediction number one as well in a sec, but
0: I totally agree. Prediction number one was exactly the same thing. And you know, doing my research about this, uh, obviously a lot of famous blogs and... Uh, different websites have already announced their own predictions. The introduction of titanium for the submariner yeah. and blue sounds like a very, very logical, let's say, evolution of this bra- of, of this model. Yeah. Specifically, considering that they've recently, like you said, explored the uh, the new material in titanium with the deep sea challenge, just at the end of last year. So now, you know, nothing stops them from starting to release these watches in uh, in, in Titanium as well. Uh, one thing I wanted to, so, okay, my first prediction, because you didn't mention Explorer, so I'm just going to go for Explorer. My prediction will be that, again, the Explorer is also celebrating its 70th anniversary this year. Rolex has never made anniversary models of the Explorer. They've only made an anniversary model of Explorer 2. So the Internet's, uh, and divided, I think, between on on these ones, some of them are saying uh, that uh, they will release like a full gold version of the explorer. I saw that. I went a little bit of a, a different version, uh, which I've also seen somewhere the, on the on one of the websites, which I think to me makes a, little, a bit more sense, and I'll explain it in a sec. So Rolex isn't known to let's say pay tributes to the vintage pieces by let's say by way of making uh, like historically similar, like let's say what Lanjin is doing. So they will probably do a modern version of an explorer with a small kind of switch change that will make it, make give it a tribute to like an explorer of the original days. So what I think is going to happen. Tenzing Norgay. I, 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 think, I think they might surprise everybody as well this year and release a wide dial version as a tribute to Sir Edmund Hillary who wore this watch on ascent to Mount Everest t- together with Tenzing Norgate? Yeah. <laughs> that histori- like there's a historical reference of uh, the Explorer. It's, the reference number is sixty ninety eight. It's the pre-Explorer, technically. It was an oyster, I think, per- yes, it was an oyster perpetual with a white dial and let's like, say metal colored markings. I think this could be very cool if they do it. I don't think they will do it yeah. with just the markings. They will probably retain the, the the three, six, and nine. But I think a wide dial Explorer in 36 could be a very, very cool thing for them to do. hundred percent.
1: And that's great. And I literally said Ted ignore it, it was because I learned that from a movie. So I was like, he's the other guy. <laughs> he was the Sherpa. But he was super
0: famous as well. Like he always, you know, and, yeah. and it's unfortunate because I'm reading the... History of Explorer and from, from the book you guys gave me, it's always kind of like Sir Edmund Hillary and his sharper Tenzing Norgey, but arguably like, yeah. they played at he least an equal role, if not Tenze and yeah. Nurge being even more important because he was the, the guide. He was the one that knew it's the, the area.
1: area. Yeah, 100%. Good prediction. I am going to go with my next prediction. It's the 60th anniversary for the Daytona. And maybe Uh-oh. this one, unlike the Rolex the Mariner does have changes, like the Rolex did when it went from 40 to 41 millimeters. The Daytona is due for this. The last update came in 2016. They added a cerachrome bezel and black rings around the registers, the the reference 116500. Lunette noire. The Daytona has not changed since 2000, case or the movement. The watches available today are almost the same that Rolex presented in that reference 116520. So a model that's most notably most notable for the launch of the in-house automatic chronograph, the 4130, 23 years have passed without a major update to the Daytona. So if you look at things from a technical perspective, I think it's time for a change. As for the dials, of course, I'm going to take a page out of what they did with those Oyster Perpetuals two years ago. So I'm saying there's going to be two of them. There's going to be either a Coral Red Daytona. How sweet would that be, by the way? Uh, (laughs) Coral Red. Like a Coral Red bezel? Or or dial? The dial. It's a steel bezel. Steel bezel? Okay. Oh, it's a red red and steel. I think it's the red. The red and steel, and then green and steel. That Rolex green that broke it as well. Now, I'm not going to say I really hope they don't, but they imagine what they'd do to the internet if they come out with that Rolex Tiffany blue and did a Daytona. Yeah, it's with a that. good, interesting, yeah, interesting prediction. Just breaks everything, but I hope they don't because I would love the red or the green. That would be an amazing, amazing Daytona. It's, um, and the Daytona has never been too, too fascinating for me. I think it's very well made and it's a beautiful watch, but it was missing, I think, a little bit of, say, spice. An and I think that a red, crimson, that cor- coral red they call it, or British racing green or Rolex green would be tremendous for that line. So that's my second prediction for the Daytona. They're due for something big, and that might be exactly what it is. But I do think, and and we're talking about colors, but I'll take it back. I am pretty sure, if I had to bet, they're going to do a rehaul of that movement, the dimensions, something like that, because they're due. Right. They haven't changed it in such a long time. Interesting. And I
0: also, I mean, obviously have a Daytona prediction, but it's a little bit different from yours. All right. So I went a bit into more of a, like a historical direction with this. Obviously Daytona is well known for doing anniversary pieces, right? I think the last one they've done was that actually the one that I liked the most was the platinum one. It was the platinum one with like an aquamarine dial and a brown bezel to me it was a to me it's my favorite looking Daytona but that one is extremely unobtainable because retail was about $155,000 with you know aftermarket prices are even higher than that. Right. So, you know, pre- precious metal Daytona could work. Uh, it could be a white gold I think or platinum and the internet's are saying <sighs> it could be like a full green. Oof, uh, like a green bezel, green dial. I've seen some uh, photoshops on the internet. I think Monochrome Watches did one very very nicely. What I think, and I think it's more of a wishful thinking, would be super cool, is now, with this anniversary, they could maybe take a step back and instead of doing like a precious metal limited version, do a revamp of their like regular lineup and go back to the origins of this watch, where when, you know, during the time that Paul Newman wore this, they had panda versions, so white dial with black subdials. Oh my gosh, black. <laughs> A, a black dial with white sub dials. That if happens, you thought
1: the sub was unobtainable.
0: <laughs> that would be so so cool. And I've seen like a like an break. older version. This will definitely break the internet. And I've seen an older version of an older version of a Daytona that has like almost like a Speedmaster look. It has like the, the black dial with the white sub dials. It yeah. is so beautiful. so beautiful. And it's not necessarily It doesn't have to be a precious metal. It's just a new version. Yeah. a new iteration of the regular model. So that's kind of what I go for. It's mostly a wishful thinking though. It's not, I think it's a bit less realistic than them doing like a precious metal one.
1: Fine. The fact that we're in wishful thinking, I'm going to talk to you about one that I can dream about as well. Considering they're in 2023, I'd like them to bring back a specific watch. The Thunderbird. Also, well, it's known as the Thunderbird, but it's used to be the Rolex Turnograph. Oh yeah. This watch came out in 1953 and I think they're due to bring it back. Um, It would make the perfect all-around watch. When you look at the Datejust with that fluted bezel and you go, what could I do with that fluted bezel? Let's make a fluted bezel, a fluted diver's bezel that is actually functional. That would make that watch the absolute killer go anywhere and do everything watch. That watch would have a diver's bezel. It would have um, swimming capabilities, a stainless steel Rolex with all the trimmings. This coming out with an updated movement added to the Datejust line I would be first in line to put my name on that list. 100%. That watch would be stupendous. The bottom of the Bring pit of a list. Did you see the link I just sent you? Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yeah. yeah. So you can find these TurnoGraph watches still for sale, a little under $20,000. But they're amazing. They look so good. It looks very cool. I really wish they would bring that back. So yeah, bring. Back. that's a wishful thinking for my part as well. Very cool. Uh, I'm, yeah. What do you got next?
0: Well, wishful thinking, I think. Uh, you know, I, I love the the original Rolex Oyster, to me it's yeah. absolutely beautiful with the cushion case. Again, super wishful thinking. It's a very old model that I don't think even existed like at the time when the first professional models were created, like 50s, right? So the subs and the Genties. So it would be super cool if they did something like this. It'd be nice if they returned the cushion case in one of the new models. Super wishful thinking. I don't know about Jim T Master because Jim T Master is celebrating their anniversary next year, so I'm pretty sure they will save it—the uh, release for next year. 100. Uh, percent But that's pretty much it. I think I, I'm not going to just because I, I I don't really have much of a let's say knowledge about this. I don't know if they're going to be as uh, there's a high chance of them to create something new there when you already have so many different customization options. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it for Rolex.
1: Okay, I have one more Rolex prediction, and I think everyone kind of knew it today. As we know it today, the Rolex Milgauss is one of the last models to be powered with the movement from the one XX generation. So, except for slight color changes, it hasn't been updated since 2007. So this has to change, and I think, besides the implementation of a 3.2 XX movement, um, the competition has killed Rolex in terms of the gauss, in terms of its actual anti-magnetism, anti-magnetism, right? So it's an important topic currently in the industry. And I think that Rolex has been beaten by Omega, the master chronometer certification, which provides 15,000 Gauss uh, on m- most of its watches now, with a level magnetic resistance offered of Milgauss uh, is the same since 1954, meaning 1,000 Gauss. So Rolex will need to adopt its caliber 3230 using silicon and non-ferrous parts, Or maybe for this one, they come out of left field, if they don't discontinue the watch altogether, and they put an entirely new caliber. And when they come out with this cool research and development, what if they came out with a Milgauss? They use the titanium case, and they make the movement entirely amagnetic. What if they did something like that? I think that would be so cool. The watch would be super light because of the titanium. The, the the All the pieces would be entirely amagnetic. It could never be, and it would be the only watch on the market to do so. And I don't put it beyond Rolex to be able to come up with this with the research and development capabilities and to really knock it out of the park. I think that, that would be incredibly cool. It would make the Milgauss look like its own watch once again and not be just a mimic to an Oyster Perpetual case. Uh, with that movement from the Milga uh, from the air king or etc cetera, etc cetera. it could regain its own identity and really take over the market with an amagnetic watch but definitely the milgauss i think either gets discontinued or they come out with something entirely new if they just shove in a new movement in that thing they're totally uninspired and then they've gotten lazy that's my last rolex prediction
0: and i saw the predictions for milgauss and i kind of was like you know what I don't know Kevin's going to talk about them. <laughs>
1: so I'm so going to about... <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him do it. Uh, let's jump into some other topics, some other predictions here. I got Tudor. Yeah, let's do that. I, I did. I, I also have a three for Tudor. I have two. My first one is, okay. I think this year is the year that finally they invest in the Black Bay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the Black Bay 58 finally sees a regular black non-guilt version of that diver. A lot of people have been wanting this I hope they come out with it. They did their blue version. They should come out with a regular black, white dialed diver. No guilt version to it. It would be very good for Tudor and definitely the next step. So that's my first prediction when it comes to Tudor and the Black Bay 58.
0: Yeah, okay. That makes uh, That's interesting. Well, I think mine, my first one is pretty obvious for anybody following, let's say, Tudor in general is that they have just recently released in September uh, the, the new 39 millimeter version of the Pelagos, right? They, they made it in black. It seems just completely logical for them to create, to release the same version, but in blue, same color as the 42 millimeter Pelagos. To me, I think it's the most obvious prediction for
1: Tudor. That's my prediction number one. I, it's pretty straightforward. And I'll continue on that for my prediction number two. I think that while they continue to invest in the, in the nice, say, more daily versatile Pelagos, they went away from the original tool watch that Pelagos was. The Marine Nationale, while it is a Pelagos, it doesn't fit within that 42 millimeter Pelagos dive watch of which that they had with titanium that was much more robust. It finds itself as being not a novelty, but it's individual collaboration with the French Marine Nationale. And it's very different than the other Pelagos. It just entered that line. I see that they'd also bring and do an investment into their original eye of the Pelagos and maybe bring back an updated version of that, maybe with a different t- shade of blue, maybe with an all green Pelagos. That would be amazing with a titanium bracelet extension clasp that, say, Carl was saying he misses it sometimes he goes because that was such a cool spring loaded um, uh, extension uh, divers clasp that he had on that Pelagos. I think that they come back and do not forget about that line because they've had a lot of success and has been the, the catalyst or the gateway into all the other successful Pelagoses, Pelagai <laughs> that uh, we see and uh, appreciate today. So that's my second prediction there, yeah.
0: Interesting, yeah. Uh, my second one would be, like I just mentioned, this year there's a bunch of anniversaries for Rolex, right? The, Ro- the Explorer, the Sub, and the Daytona. But next year, Rolex is celebrating... Uh, the anniversary. I think it's the 70th anniversary of the GMT Master, the first one. So you know, probably we'll be seeing something released from Rolex about that next year. But oh. at the same time, Tudor also has a GMT. It's a Black Bay uh, GMT that was initially released in uh, in 2018, and there hasn't really been any changes done to this watch, except for the root But no changes. You're right. So I'm thinking if they're to do something. And maybe right now there's enough, let's say, interest, because everybody's anticipating what Rolex is going to do with it next year. They could potentially do something with the GMT Master. I don't know, maybe create a new colorway. Maybe make it smaller and more compact, because it's a a thick boy and it's a 42 millimeter. So I think we could potentially maybe expect the same thing that they they just did with the Pelagos, make it in uh, 39. Maybe, I don't know if they could fit the movement, uh, but maybe 39, maybe 40, and maybe a little bit thinner. So it's more wearable. I think that could be very, very cool. And I'm, I, I'm, maybe a different colorway. Like, I would like to see a
1: Coke version. Maybe that's going to be the GMT Master next year as well. But they can it, put it in a smaller case. Maybe not the thickness, but they can because the Tudor Black Bay Pro is 39 millimeters. So they're able to bring that down in terms of the, dia- of the diameter. So, yeah. And maybe my, ex- my last point to Tudor, and it's going to be more generalized, I think that they're going to, we're going to see some releases added to the Tudor Pro line. We saw that they came out with the Black Bay GMT in that Pro line, which is made to come out with professional you know, utilitarian specs and design. Um, I think they continue to invest in that line as well. This, they, they did a good job with that uh, Black Bay Pro. I see them continuing to invest, and we see some really cool releases in that line. So we'll, we'll take a look. I think that uh, you're absolutely right, by the way, about the GMT, which I hope, because if they come out with a normal colorway, just a normal one that might be the GMT to get. Yeah, uh, I think it could be very, very cool. And
0: uh, my last one would be also kind of going along with what Rolex is doing, obviously. So since they've unveiled the new Explorer, which is the one that I am that I own and I'm wearing today, the uh, reference number 124270 in 36 millimeters, they did it in, sorry, not last year, because we're just 2023, was it in 2021 that they've released it? I think... Uh, there is it's time and there might be an update to the, to the Ranger line because right now I think it's at 39 and maybe, you know, nothing stops them from continuing this trend and going down in size because that's, I think, what's, what market in general demands. Uh, going to 36 mil oof. maybe with the Ranger.
1: Oof! And, the, oof. Oh, that's an insta-buy, bro. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And another thing, and Ooh.
0: I've seen this on uh, some of the websites, I think it would be fucking cool. Uh, emphasis on fucking. Uh, that emphasis yeah, on its release. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we should we should beep out our speeches like uh, you, you know that, that funny channel there on Instagram where the beeps are completely mistimed. Yeah, exactly. So it'd be very cool if they also add a date window to make oh. differentiate it more from the explorer yeah. itself. Yeah. How cool would that be? And there is an old reference number from Tudor, one of the original ones that. You know, it's a thirty-six mil with the with the cyclops and a date window. Look, looks awesome. It's different enough to, to not away, take away from the explorer, yeah, in the market, but also is 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 amazing and similar to what Rolex is doing.
1: I I have the Tudor Ranger when it's forty-one. The thirty-nine looks great, and the price is really good. Um, and it's still like I as a go everywhere, do everything. Like if it was 37, 36, It'd be perfect on that bracelet. Oh, man, that'd be great. That'd be just a perfect, like... And, you know, not even as Explorer watch, this Omega that I'm wearing is 36. And it's a very comfortable... And it's a field watch, kind of, right? So it's very, very cool to just uh, grab it, go... I think that if Tudor comes out with that and, and and takes the Ranger kind of line as opposed to their Black Bay 36 that they have, this is just the right way to go. I think it's excellent. Yeah, I really hope you're right. And look, we'd even talk about it. Could it be that Tudor comes out with that Tudor submariner, breaks the internet, and breaks all of the year and wins it again? (laughs) I mean, they do that. They they destroy the the. the, I thought about
0: it also, and I don't know, man. Like I think Rolex is super. I mean, obviously Rolex is super smart with their marketing. Yeah. Don't you think it might potentially hurt their (laughs) Rolex models sales? Well, (laughs) do they wanna? Because. Are they going to be able to get new customers, or they will just steal customers from the
1: Submariner waitlist well, me get ask them you to buy the Tudor um, Tudor Submariner? Let me, but let me ask you a question. And I'm thinking of the their Black Bay Chronograph, the one that's on even has waitlist now on Tudor. That we were like, oh, it looks just like the Daytona, and it got it was thinner. It was released in two years ago, I think. It was ex- really great upgrades. You were like really perfect upgrades, yeah. right? Thinner, and uh, it was wearable and that watch in itself is waiting list and people are like, oh, this, will this cannibalize Rolex? I don't think it's impacted Daytona wait lists, but who knows? Submariner wait lists are long as the... But it might be that itch to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to go buy myself a Tudor Submariner if you can. Yeah. Anyways. But maybe they won't do I don't think they'll do it because of Rolex. I think they wouldn't do it because they probably don't want to hurt the Black Bay 58. Right. If I had to guess, I would manage. They go, this will hurt our Blackbe. It will destroy the Black B fifty eight. I was like, no, I just want a submariner. I don't want that uh, Blackbe fifty eight. Right, makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. Um, what else do you have? Those are the predictions that I had. I'm, I have another prediction. I just want to know. Let's go. What do we? What do we? What's going on with the moon swatch? What are we predicting this year? Are they going to come out with a sea swatch? <laughs> uh, Swatchmaster. Oh <laughs> so God. would it be swatch? <laughs> so maybe, maybe Swatchmaster. They come out with. Uh, does it stay with Omega, or do we see a collab between Swatch and another Swatch brand? Like Blanc Pain. <laughs> a Blanc Pain plastic. <laughs> 50, it's a 20 fathoms. <laughs> it's, it's a muy pequeño fathoms. You know? Muy pequeño, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's fi- 50 fathoms in peso. 50 pesos.
0: <laughs> 50. Jesus. <laughs>
1: We have fathoms. I don't know. What, what, what are we going to have? They, de- they, they won the year. I don't care what anyone oh, says. Oh, they sold a million watches. watches. That's an insane, <laughs> yeah. it's an insane no, accomplishment. they sold a million boots watches. Yeah, it's dude, an insane I, accomplishment. Yeah, exactly. Insane. Considering not, it costs nothing. They just pure profit. <laughs> I, dude, I, when I think about that, and no matter what, I don't own one and I won't own one, I'd rather look at other watches at that uh, price point. Yeah, and buy a notice things. instead. Exactly. And when I think about that, they go, what kind of year was it? I'm like, they stole the year. Marketing-wise, publicity, sales, whatever you want to call it, they own the year. And you know what? The effect is, you brought up the statistics. I don't know what the increase was in Omega Speedmaster sales, but that's a big fuck you. That's incredible. They're they're responsible for that as well. (laughs) They're part of that. So that was like the release year. Do they capitalize? Do they keep going? Do they... Do they break the internet again or break the watch market again? I hope they stop making so many fucking special editions. It's hurting like their classic lines, I think. No, I know it's Speedmaster, but but the small Omega Swatch. The Swatch, I mean, sorry. Swatch, Swa- Swatch Omega, the Swatch, Swatch. Swatchmaster. What's next? Do they, they, could, do do they uh, continue with this line?
0: I mean, look, just looking by how successful it was, I think they have to jump and try to... To do something else uh, similar to I it. Go C I think Seamaster is yeah. probably a good. Oh well, yeah, because it's the second most popular watch in their like classic models. I think it's a logical choice. But I think
1: they'll double the price uh, because they have to immediately think about water resistance. I hope they, need to, they also double the quality at the same time.
0: Yeah, I think so because I've heard a lot of really really negative yeah. things about like the color fading, uh, brushing off like color fading, and
1: I've heard hands falling off, your, crowns popping off. Yeah, 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 I've heard a
0: bunch of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope uh I hope that but uh, the Watches and Wonders are I think starting what tomorrow, March twenty seventh, they go from March twenty seventh to April third. Okay. If
1: I'm not mistaken. Yeah.
0: Is it that late? Uh, it's coming it up before. very soon.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll have time to get this episode It's coming episode up very soon out.
0: and there's a lot of stuff well we definitely have the time to get this out uh, but
1: uh, it's always yes. I think that and we'll have a Watch and Wonders episode yeah. we'll do an episode review our favorite For pieces sure. from there what's coming out
0: yeah all it is to yeah. say that uh, be, between now and then uh, there's still a few weeks and there's a lot of interesting predictions that we can discuss in the future episodes 100%
1: excellent well that was our episode this week let us know if there was any Rolex predictions that you guys or any Rolex tutor or Watch and Wonders predictions that we should be keeping an eye out let us know what you think and uh, you guys be well, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. So if you enjoyed this episode, please reach out to us on Big Black Clock official on Instagram or email us at BigBlackClockTeam at gmail.com. Send us your pictures, corrections, ideas, insults, and let us know if there are any pieces you want us to review. With, of course, the caveat that we can afford them. As always, be good to each other, eat good food, have some drinks. For those of you always watch shopping, happy hunting. Thanks for spending time with us, and we will see you next week.